When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are just so thankful that you've made time to be with us again today, whether you're watching us live here on the YouTube channel or you're listening to a podcast archive or watching the archive here on the YouTube channel. Our guys, welcome to the room. we got men here in the room. Uh, always fun. Let's, make, let's, let's, let's get this right because you don't want a bunch of dudes hanging out over here at the studio making everybody feel nervous next week. Uh, next week, there will be no Bible study on Wednesday, so make a note of that. Uh, I, I will come back a week, uh, two weeks from today. We'll be back here in the studio, back on the YouTube channel live, uh, and the archives provided uh, and everything. So uh, next week, no new study, but what a great time for those of you that are looking for something to do in that time slot, since you've made that a priority. Uh, you know, maybe take times to go back, time to go back and watch a Bible study that you missed. Uh, maybe you want to go listen to one that you missed. We have a, you know so many different series that we've done over the last eight years. But you also can go find some of our standalone Bible studies, meaning it's not really a series. It's just one that, that makes a point. There's a, there's a great one out there, and you can try to – here I go, Adler, sorry about this. You can try to find it. It's, it's one that uh, calls Why Do We, uh, Why Do we Suffer? Uh, and it's, uh, it's a standalone that, that got a lot of, um, a lot of folks uh, talking about it. There's another one out there about prayer. Uh, you know, Jesus taught us how to pray and how not to pray. So there's some individual ones that you can go check out, too. All right, so some other notes. Here's some things going on um, with themanchurch.com, uh, and that's our men's discipleship strategy. It's a hub for resources, and we're, we're so excited about what God is doing. Uh, so Helmsy uh, from the Rick and Bubba Show will be speaking uh, at Mexi, Alabama. Guys in the room, you know where Mexi, Alabama is located? Near Frisco City, Monroeville, you know where that is? And and who's some famous people from Monroeville? There's two. Harper Lee, to kill a mockingbird. Who else? Truman Capote. Uh, so uh, so all down that way. So uh, you can uh, go see Helmsy. They're kicking off the men's discipleship strategy, Mexi, Alabama, this Friday night, March the 11th. So you can make plans to go see him. Also at themanchurch.com, coming up on the 17th of March, uh, you will go to Columbus, Mississippi, First Baptist Church Columbus. They're ending the first year of the strategy. This will be Man Church number four. Mark Garnett will be speaking there. Uh, you can go join Mark, a great teacher. Uh, you'll really get a lot out of that at First Baptist Church Columbus, Mississippi. On the 19th, uh, over in Dora, Alabama, at Bethel uh, Baptist Church, they're going to be kicking it off. I'll be doing the message. I just won't be there in person. Uh, we offer a kickoff package at themanchurch.com. Uh, if you're like, I don't want to wait around to find some date when Rick can come, uh, or we just want to go ahead and get this thing started, we have a video message that that, uh, that I recorded that tells you everything about the discipleship strategy. We give you a, a, a promo video that's part of that package that you can run on your announcements, letting every know, everybody know you're starting. We have images you can use for social media. It's a full kickoff package. Hello to Jerry as he goes by the camera. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, you can get everything that you need in that kickoff package, and you can find that at themanchurch.com. You can just add that to your curriculum, and you're ready to go. You're not waiting on a date to get a live speaker. You're, you're ready to go. So you can go see that at Bethel on the 19th. On March 25th, uh, I'll be traveling over to uh, 
Rootville, Georgia, and I'll be at Rootville Road Baptist Church. Famous person from Rootville, Georgia, Keith Jackson, uh, famous uh, sports announcer uh, from Rootville, Georgia. Y'all going to have to learn this stuff, guys. Uh, so I'll be there on the 25th at Rootville Road Baptist Church. It is the annual Low Country Boil. Uh, so we'll be having great food, and uh, we'll have a great time together there on the 25th. Marriage conference coming up on April 2nd, Panama City, Florida, Highland Baptist Church. Sherry and I, my wife, uh, look forward to that. We'll do a one-day marriage conference there. It'll actually be on the 2nd of April, but you can spend the whole weekend there in Panama City, Florida. Make plans to be with us. If you want to eat the dinner, like a, the little date they're doing for the couples, that part is almost sold out. Uh, but if it is already sold out, you still can come to the sessions, uh, and they have another ticket for that that doesn't include a meal. Uh, so go find that at uh, rickandbubba.com under upcoming events, or you also can go to themanchurch.com. I'm sorry, go to burgessministries.com and find information too. So those are some things going on. You can make your plans to be part of that. If you want to find a man church near you or what's going on with what we're doing together for Sherry and I, either go to burgessministries.com under events or themanchurch.com under events. So let's open in a word of prayer. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in Genesis 10, and we're going to do part of Genesis 11 today, Lord willing. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. We are just uh, excited to spend time uh, in your word today. And uh, your, your word is powerful. Uh, your word is, is, uh, is cutting. It is dividing uh, like, uh, like meat from the marrow bone. Uh, and may today we be refined by we, as we continue to study how things were in the beginning uh, so we can be prepared for the end. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so Genesis 10. Let me, let me go ahead and prepare you for some things uh, because this is a men's Bible study, even though a lot of women join us now via the video and the audio archives, which is fine, or live. Uh, but here in the room, it's all men, and I know kind of how we learn. So we're going to talk about how the nations descended uh, from Noah's sons, but I want to address right up front, because probably some of you have been studying this, you're like, wait a minute. This doesn't seem like it's it's laid out in chronological order. Well, it isn't. Uh, so 10 and 11 are not chronological because you're going to see things we're talking about in 10 that didn't happen to after 11. So just kind of be aware of that. That, that, that happens in Scripture from time to time because that's, that's not its intent uh, to always be chronological. Uh, so just understand that because you're going to hear me talking about nations that have been scattered and different people, and you're like, well, we haven't even got to the Tower of Babel yet. And you're right, the Tower of Babel is in 11. So... Don't don't let that throw you. So let's uh, let's start uh, with the uh, ten. Now I must tell you that I'm not going to go through every single name here. Uh, we're going to pick out a few things, but this is genealogy, uh, and we're going to see the the generations uh, of Noah, uh, and it's going to be a lot of names. But we're going to take the three sons, and we're going to see their their descendants, and, and kind of where they're all headed uh, on the different nations. Some of it we don't really know. There's some places we're going to be told about uh, that we know exactly where that is, and that's great. And we're going to talk about an archaeological uh, find uh, that, that, once again, you know, confirms that Scripture is, is the inspired Word of God and is accurate. And then we're going to hit one reference to places, a place that nobody knows where this is. So, uh, so we'll, we'll keep working through that. Uh, but we'll go through a strange mixture of uh, named individuals, towns, and countries. Uh, we're going to have the three main lines. That'll be Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Underline Shem, that's going to be a big one. Uh, and also Ham is going to be a big one in another way. Uh, chapter 11 is going to take us uh, to the descendants for Shem. Now, we're not going to do that today. 
Uh, but that's where we'll pick up when I come back. Uh, and But we will talk about more about uh, Shem today. Uh, also, that's going to smoothly, when we get to Shem, which will be where we'll start next week uh, as far as unpacking more about him. When we get there, this is going to start a process in this Genesis study that's going to roll us into the descendants of Terah, and that's going to take us to one person you're real familiar with, Abram. And then from then we're going to go into to Abram, to Abraham, and, and here we go. Uh, now there's going to be a watershed moment coming at the end of chapter 11 uh, where we're going to leave some of these broader themes behind that we're working on right now, and then we'll, we'll, we'll start, we'll see uh, Moses working with people who are called out of, of kind of a largely estranged world uh, for God's special interest. You're going to start seeing him. He, he has a special interest in, in a people, and we're going to see that start once we come out of 11 uh, when I get back from vacation. So let, let's start at 10. Uh, chapter 1 is pretty straightforward. I mean, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 10 is pretty straightforward. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, uh, and then, they, then they're listed, Shem, Ham and Japheth, uh, sons were born to them after the flood, meaning after the flood, uh, they were told to be fruitful. They were fruitful. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll take a look at verses 2 through 5. That's going to be Japheth's line. Uh, I'm not going to name all these people because uh, it, it, it really is not important, uh, but I do want to lay out kind of what's going on here. Most of the names that you see here in verses 2 through 5, uh, the sons of Japheth and Gomer and Magog, which we hear a lot about that right now, uh, and, and walking through some of that. Th- these are people, uh, although the pr- precise identity of many of them is a matter of debate, meaning who is this person? Some people say this, some say that. But th- this this information or hints as it can be gathered from other sources locate many in the general area from the upper Tigris and Euphrates across through Asia Minor and South Russia, you heard the the Magog talking here, uh, to Cyprus, Greece, and possibly Carthage there in North Africa. So that's because remember this: these are the nations being formed, and we know that they're going to be scattered in eleven. But here's Moses already telling us where they were scattered to. Can, is that okay? Can everybody can everybody handle that as we work through it? So who are some of the people that come out of Japheth? Uh, they're broadly Gentile people. Uh, they're 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 also um, um, you know, some of them will, will you know, be Gentiles that will start impinging on Israel or, or south of it. But much of the identification remains somewhat speculative. I mean, I'm not, some of it is precise, some of it isn't. But among the more generally agreed identifications uh, is that, um, that we're looking at Greece. Um, we're looking, uh, you know, in, in different parts of Greece. Um, and uh, you see a reference in verse 5, take a look at that, to an island. You see that? From these, the coastline people spread in their lands, each with its own language, by their clans and their nations. This seems to be that coastline that is being talked about. We believe this is Greece, the Gentiles that ended up being their, uh, the Greeks. Uh, and now there, there's some debate about that, but um, most people say I'm willing to agree that these were mainly Gentiles, would turn out to be Gentiles, and we think they mainly uh, are there in different parts of Greece, some south of, of Israel, but mainly in Greece. Uh, then we get to Ham's line. Now, we know this is big, and this is going to be uh, in verse 6 where Ham's line starts. So so why is Ham's line 6 through 20 important? Because we know that's, this gets to the Canaanites. Uh, remember, we've got the curse on Ham. Um, most people believe he was the youngest son of Noah, and, and we know that, uh, that, that his descendants, it's, it's going to go real bad. 
uh, and because of this curse. Uh, and so when you look through 6 through 20, uh, you see that um, th- there's, there's a little more detail here as opposed to Japheth. We didn't get as much detail there. We get more here. One good reason is for the fact that Israel had, a much, had much closer dealings with these people. Not, not as much with Japheth's uh, uh, descendants, but with Ham's. They, they, they were, this is where all the ites come from. So you know, they're, they're constantly in battle uh, with, with God's chosen people. Many of them would appear to be located in and around Arabia, uh, Yemen, Assyria, uh, uh, Mesopotamia, Egypt, uh, Phoenician territories close to Israel, uh, and, of course, the Promised Land itself. Uh, among the clear identifications are Cush, uh, we believe that is uh, is Ethiopia, uh, probably uh, the area now called Nubia uh, there in Ethiopia. Uh, uh, Sheba in southwest uh, Arabia, uh, and you see that. We believe that uh, the, the son Pathros, that the, his people are upper Egypt. Uh, we believe that the, uh, the Cretans are also coming out of this line, uh, and that uh, uh, whether in Crete or, or possibly southwest of Canaan. Uh, and we know, of course, for sure, uh, that Ham's uh, descendants become the people who inhabit the land of Canaan. Now, that we know. But it is kind of odd. It, it, it sees, and we're going to land on this. The record, and we're going to get to this verse, is interrupted, or, or it seems like it is, by an account of the evil but heroic figure, Nimrod. If you, now, I, I did this just the, I, did, I mean, it's been in the last couple of weeks I called somebody Nimrod. I tell you what, these Nimrod. I mean, have you? I mean, and you're going to find out where 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 this comes from. I actually love uh, using the negative of of Nimrod because there's so many other things that at one time I called people, and after I've been redeemed, I'm looking for things that I can call them now. And uh, and Nimrod seems to be allowed. So so, but but uh, but but why? Look look at verse nine. Uh, it, it says that I mean verse eight. So Cush uh, fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. So make a note of that. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. But look at 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So make a note of that. We'll find that when we get back to 11, when we get on to 11. So that's important uh, because you see that we're going through this genealogy and then all of a sudden Moses stops here with Nimrod and says, I got an editorial about this guy. Uh, I'm not going to give you that much detail about some of the others, but I'm going to stop here because I want to talk about Nimrod for just a minute. And, uh, and it, it kind of it, it, it uses that, that he was, was someone who had maybe some political might because uh, you know, it, re- it calls his kingdom and his great city. Uh, probably to to refer even when we talk about Babel, we do believe too that Nimrod also played a role uh, after they're scattered after his first kingdom. That one of his kingdoms ends up to be Nineveh. Not very good people there either. Uh, so I've heard people debate back and forth. Well, Nimrod's not a negative. Well, you, you know, if you understand scripture, to call someone a Nimrod is not a good thing. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But but it uh, but it, but this it's been perceived before. Like if because I use it this way, if I say, man, yeah, don't be a Nimrod, is I'm really saying don't be goofy. But really, it'd be better to say when someone's arrogant and a jerk, and, and think they're they think that they're above everybody else. That's really a Nimrod, uh, meaning that this person is so full of themselves that they think they're more important than even God. That's really a better use of Nimrod. We don't really use it that way, but that's that's kind of how the Bible sees it. Uh, but also they believe if you look, you take Nimrod's story, 
and you really follow uh, his line all the way back, uh, he intersects with Cain. Uh, and, uh, and and then, of course, Cain produced what? The particular sinister but powerful Lamech. We think Nimrod comes out of all that, which seems like, boy, that attitude really really rose there. Uh, the biblical picture is consistent uh, that some men became great in their own sight. I'd make a note of that. The, when he's referring to Nimrod, he's not saying that Nimrod really was great. He was saying he was great in his own sight. He perceived himself as great as we men tend to do. Uh, and so um, it says that um, their own prowess may have been impressive, but they're also never the men whom God takes into his plans uh, and, and blesses. They, they're too independent. They're too proud to be blessed by God. Uh, and, and look at verse uh, 11. It's understood to say that he went forth into Assyria. Uh, that serves to explain the inclusion of the Assyrian place names, such as I mentioned, Nineveh. The translation here is considered to be pretty probable that that's what they're talking about. Uh, and also there's special attention paid uh, attention paid to all the descendants of Canaan uh, because their occupation of the land which God gave to Abraham and his seed is explanation enough for the prominence given to them. This also accounts for the record and detail of the area that is going to be controlled by them. You'll see this in verse 19, uh, and we all know that is going to be what? That's going to be the promised land. That, that's going to be it. So th- this, is, this, is, this is pretty important. And then you look at uh, verses 21 through 31. Now, don't, don't hear me say, um, um, also don't forget to look, look back up here about the Canaanites. Look, look, at, look at 18, well, no, 17, well, 16. we got all kind of ites here. It, it says that, that Canaan, which is we know that this grandson is coming, fathered Sidon, which was destroyed for its evilness, by the way, the country named after him, his firstborn, and Heath, and look, Jebusites, Amorites, some other kind of ite, uh, and uh, and just there's just ites everywhere in here, and then and then look afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from what Sidon, destroyed for being evil by God, in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah. Look at this list. Uh, the, the, these turn out to be really bad places. Uh, so this is definitely an evil line, as we were told. Now now look at 21. This is Shem, uh, Shem's line. And, and we're going to spend more time on it when we get to 11. Uh, but uh, but I, I want, this is the way I'll tell you that, uh, that in this, this part in 21 through 31, you know, as usual in Genesis, the most significant line of descent is given last. Uh, the significant aspects of it emerge as it unfolds. Now, in this case, the special importance for Shem, as far as the Genesis Genesis narrative is concerned, is marked first by an extra statement in the introduction in verse 21, linking Shem to Eber. This is the ancestor of Abram, who goes on to be Abraham. This is reinforced by that second genealogy that we'll study when I get back in chapter 11, and that's going to be the link made between Shem all the way to Abram. So look at verse 21. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber. And why that's important, that's going to take us to Abraham. Uh, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. So this, this, sometimes when they get the order out of, out of who is being mentioned, the most significant line is always mentioned last. Uh, and the sons of Shem, and it goes on to go through, through all of them and through the different territories. Now look at verse 30. 
Okay. We, we see some things going on here with, with Shem. Um, and, 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 and it talks about, you know, that you're going to see in verse 31, uh, something about scatter that happens. This is all about to happen in 11, but for some reason it's all appearing here. Like when you see, um, uh, verse 25 to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. Well, that means to divide for in his days, look, the earth was divided by his brother's name. Uh, and, and his brother's name was, was Jockton. Uh, and then it talks about who he fathered. So this is all this dividing going on that really doesn't happen till 11. Now, when you get to verse 30, this is a part that, that no one has been able to come back and say, I think I know where this is. So the, we do know that, that we're going to get to Abraham through Shem, so that tells us a lot because we know where they went. But when he's talking about these territories in verse 30, the territory in which they lived extended to either Mesha or Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. Nobody knows where this is. And everybody's tried to give their their theories on it. I did not find any commentary that says that we believe we got it. So no one really knows what these markers mean. Obviously, back when we always talk about when Moses is writing, remember back in chapter 6, Moses starts talking about the Nephilim like we all go, oh, yeah, we all remember that. Uh, so a lot of this, he just expects the, the reader to already know. Well, we don't really know where these places are because they didn't, they didn't, they didn't stay with these names. Uh, but verse 31 says, These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. It's not that important because, again, this is going to take us to Abraham, so we get a lot answered. Then in verse 32, pretty straightforward, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So here's what we're being told when this thing wraps up uh, in, in 32. Uh, we're being told that uh, we see the, the, the world is spreading out. It has scattered, uh, which we can now see. And from these three sons, all the nations uh, are produced. And but then we get into eleven, and we're going to find out how they got scattered, uh, and uh, and this is the way it ended up in scripture. So I'm good with that. Uh, so let's look at uh, at chapter eleven. We'll just do one through nine, and that'll be enough to wrap us up today. And then we'll come back and pick up the rest of eleven and get into twelve when we return. So let's look at eleven. So we all know we've seen we've seen all the descendants of Noah's sons. We've seen some that are a little bit prominent. We see the different nations and the regions. Sham we're not as sure about, but he gets us to Abraham, so we know where that's going, uh, and that is the most important line. Uh, but now we, 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 we get to 11, and this is actually set up before they've been scattered. Is everybody with me? We're all still congregating in one place right now, and you're going to see somebody trying to lead the charge. Here comes Nimrod. Uh, and, and so um, the, the people have a problem in, in chapter 11, and it is the same problem that we have today. We desire to be our own God. We, we, we don't want to sit back and trust that God's got it covered and that he knows best and that he has all authority and he is the beginning and the end. We somehow think it's almost like some of the modern praise and worship songs were written in chapter 11. This is nothing new. We're going to sing songs about how wonderful we are and how enamored God must be with us. Which, by the way, heads up, he... He is not enamored with us. He doesn't worship us. We don't bring anything to the table. And at one time we know, he, he even looked back and said, by the way they behaved, it breaks my heart. 
and uh, and I and sometimes I uh, you see him having some sort of he's sovereign, so I mean he's all knowing, but some sort of regret about uh, about I think more the way we acted. Some people saying, "Well, I've had a bunch of emails about this back when we did that." So is God saying he made a mistake? No, God's not saying he made a mistake because he didn't make mistakes. I think what you really see is just God once again grieving over the way we've responded to being made. And uh, he regrets that it's turned out this way. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, maybe the word better there is he's, he's heartbroken. He's sad. Uh, maybe our English word is a little off there. Uh, but anyway, so now the whole earth had one language in verse, verse 1. So the word of God, the, the God-inspired word of God says at one time we didn't speak a bunch of languages. We spoke one. And now the whole earth had one language. And I'll tell you what's kind of cool is archaeologists have have gone to what they're about to build. They have gone to this area, and they have found these buildings that we're about to talk about. And they said when they found them, it was remarkable, the architecture. It was remarkable how durable and how they had lasted the test of time. And and, and this goes back to what? What God's going to say. Everybody's working together, and with everybody working together, there's a lot that can get done, uh, but archaeologists have actually found this place. It, it it has been found, just as Scripture says. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Verse three, and they said to one another, "Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly." And they had bricks for stone, and uh, they they had uh, bitumen for mortar. Then they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city." And a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Everybody underline that. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, which that's going to be comical, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So, what you're seeing here is. There must be some instruction, and we do see this, that they are to disperse and be fruitful and multiply. We know they were told that. You know what they're saying? We don't want to do that. We don't tell you what we're going to do. We're going to overthrow God here, and we're not going to disperse, and we're not going to go over the whole earth. We don't want to. Let's just go right here. Let's, let's congregate right here in this one place and make this really phenomenal city where we all live, and we do, and we do it the way we want to do it. So here's an instruction from God that they're saying no to. I'm going to bring up a place in the Bible where this happens too, uh, in the New Testament that uh, that I think is, is is significant. So we we see that um, that they all have similar goals, but then you get to to verse five, and this is going to be really really interesting. Look at verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Do y'all see how funny that is? Hey, we're in the heavens, man. I bet we're really close to God. God had to come down to even see it. Okay, they haven't even got anywhere near where God is, and they they think they're right. They, hey, man, we're, we're knocking on the door. And the Scripture says God had to actually come down to even see them. Uh, and, and this is where their euphoria kind of starts going south here because um, uh, God – had uh, had been left out of the planning and the building, and we find out pretty quick that God's not aloof. He's not sitting around going, well, I wonder what they're doing down there. All the plans that we make that do not include God end in disaster. Don't miss they thought they were building a tower so large it would reach heaven and God still had to come down 
to see it. So um, let, let, let's let's say that again because that's important for everybody watching this, listening to this, for me and for everybody in here. Anytime that we start making plans that do not include God and the way God wants things done, when he's left out of our planning, you are planning and I am planning for disaster. So they said, let's roll. Think about how silly. A lot of you in here I know are in construction. You have connection to construction. They're, they're basically saying, look, we're really something. Look at what we can build here, and, and we're going to make plans. You don't see any reference. Let's consecrate this to God. Uh, let this be an altar to God. May God be with us. Let's pray to God on how we should do this. Uh, this is all men planning and women, mankind, planning something that has nothing to do with God. So look, look, look at verse 6, and then we're going to, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. That's an interesting statement uh, by God. So flip over if you have your Bible with you or something with your Bible on it. Go to, go to Psalms 37. And if, you, if you're new to Bible study, the good news about Psalms, you just go to the middle of the Bible and lay it open, it'll fall right to it. Okay, all right, so 37, um, and we're going to look at verse 12. Psalms 37, verse 12. And it says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them. Look at 13. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. And look at 11 before that. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. 12. But the wicked plots, plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. So we see God is watching these people plotting their own plan that does not include him, but he looks down and says, you know, when I made them, I made them impressively well. If they are going to have these kind of plans, and they did come up with a pretty nice building here, and they've got a city going here, apparently the wicked that they can produce and their ability to all communicate at the same time is going to be so overwhelming, I must stop them. He doesn't say, and I want you to think about this, how many times have we sat down trying to plan ministry and we start putting out a strategy and start putting out a plan. And what God is saying is usually when they get together and they kick me out, whatever they're planning is going to be disastrous. And 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 you got to be careful not to let them get too organized and they because they become full of themselves and they become nothing but trouble. So do you see though how long it took God to say, I'm stopping this? It's nothing to God to stop it. He comes down with all this they're doing, how impressive they may see themselves, but it's a big drop-off between them and God. And he just looks down and he says, well, I'm just going to stop this. And so and so, when God decides to stop something, guess what? He does. Um, so he says, seven, come let us, there's the Trinity, come let us go down in there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Let, let, let us go down and let's confuse them because the plans were under the wrong motivation. It wasn't about building something to glorify God. It was building something to glorify themselves. 
we ever do that? Instead of building something to glorify God, we're building something to glorify ourselves. We even see this happen in ministry, don't we? Many, many times. You see these ministries fall. And why do they usually fall? We t- I actually just got off a phone call about this a minute ago. Uh, and, the, and, and, and this is the thing that ought to concern all of us, even as followers of Christ, because we're all called to, uh, to, be, to make disciples, and, and everything that we do we should be doing as, as, as a ministry and, and as, uh, as, as, as Scripture tells us in Colossians, like we're working for him. No matter what you do, you're not exempt from ministry just because you're not in uh, vocational ministry. Everybody's in ministry as a follower of Jesus. I've had people tell me that when my youngest son went to heaven and all these things were going on and we saw God moving in such a powerful way, and I had people come up to me and say, well, you'll be done with doing the, the show because you'll, you'll be going into ministry now. I'm like, I've been in ministry since the day I was redeemed. What are you talking about? I've al- I'm, al- I'm already in ministry. I may not be in vocational ministry, but um, I don't know that, and if he calls me to give up that platform, then I certainly will. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. But I, I'm, it's odd that some of you think that I'm now it's time to go into ministry. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, we're we all in ministry. But I was talking with, uh, with this person. We were talking about some of the great falls of ministries that built. They went out started. Did you know what was so shocking? And, there, and there's exceptions, but they're very few. Did you know that? Just about every time that I've gotten to know somebody who was on the inside that knew these people when they started. Now, th- now we certainly know there are some scam artists, artists out there. I don't know any of them, but we know they're out there because you hear the story. But the ones that I've gotten to connect to people who knew these men, did you know that there's never been one person that said they were a fake? They said, man, when they started out, they were, they were sincere. They, 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 they really were trying to go out and honor God, and it just, it just got away from them. And before, before long, they, they surrounded themselves with people that were enamored with them as opposed to people who held them accountable. And they started to leave the authority of Christ. And I'm not talking about you know salvation and losing salvation and getting into theology. I'm just telling you what was said that they started taking themselves out of the authority of Christ and they became under their own authority and they thought because they had accomplished so much, they began to become delusional about their own potential for depravity. And that's when that's when the adversary got them. Now, did he steal their salvation? That's not for me to say. Did he take their platform away? Absolutely. Did it cause confusion and maybe call other, cause others to go into eternal damnation because they said that, that that ministry was a fake? Absolutely. Was there damage done in a big way? 100%. Because they began to make plans that didn't include God. But Now, these people did that from the very beginning. But these ministries that fall, most of them that I've been able to, if I can find a connection in, most of them say it did not start that way. They started making plans that included God, then eventually told him to hit the road. See, this happened with churches. You know, they start building empires to themselves, not to God. And I think what we need to take away from this is that God will not tolerate that. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's judge, he's wrath. But he has said 
in his own words, I will not just stand by and be mocked. And what else did he say? And and this is this we just we got to get this. I will not share my glory with anyone. I will not share my glory. And so these people were trying to uh, to glorify themselves, and um, it's 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 something as old as time, as man tries to elevate himself to the same level in God. And I love what Paul said in Romans one. What does he say? God will reveal the folly of man. And right now, all God's got to show up and say, I'm going to make it where y'all can't communicate. So you have the ability to do that? <laughs> Absolutely, I do. So I reveal, again, the folly. What, what does Scripture tell us? The most intelligent thing we may know and think we know, we could, we could stand before God and say, we have found him or her. This is the most intelligent human being on the planet. We find no one more intelligent than them. And you, we could stand up before God, and he would say, this is laughter to me. The best you guys can do is, is folly to me. It's silly. And we think that we know more than God. We think we know how to do marriage better than him. We think we know how to handle uh, morality better than him. We think we know how to handle money better than him. We think we actually earned it all, that it's ours. We think that we bring something to the table other than our devotion. And, and, and what he is asking of us is our devotion. And let's look at verse 7. So in verse 7, he said, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that it may not, they may not understand each other's speech. If they will not bring God into their counsel, he will make them unable to communicate. If y'all not going to bring me in there and y'all don't want my counsel, then I'll make it impossible for you to communicate with each other. Think about when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, how does it apply to where we are today? And you hear some of it we already had. I think it's one of the not most misunderstood verses in the Bible, because that'd be Philippians 4.13, and probably 1 Corinthians is at 10, where everybody says that they've, they think that means that God will never give you more than you can handle which is not what the Scripture says. It says you're never tested to the point that you can make an excuse for sin. That's what he's talking about. God always gives you more than you can handle. If not, then we don't need God. Um, I've been through things in my life that was more than I could handle. He's talking about there's no temptation that you can say, well, I'm sorry, the temptation was so strong I couldn't help but sin. He said, I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't really make that excuse. There's no sin stronger than me. does not mean that you don't go through difficulty that you can't handle. That's not what that verse means. Um, and and, for, and we know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a run-through sign. I've told you all that. That's not to win the game. That's not to get that deal that you're after. That's not to get that promotion or pass that test. That's Paul in jail saying there's no suffering that they can put on me that I cannot endure because of Christ. I can endure anything because of Christ. But probably one that's up there is this whole concept uh, in the Revelation uh, when when Jesus is is standing outside knocking on the door? You know, we we we've heard this to be presented many times as a gospel message, and that's all right. There, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I I, I don't I don't think that anybody's going to get in trouble for using that as a, as an analogy uh, for um, 
for the gospel, but that's not what's going on here. That's not what, what's going on here. It's more what's happening at Babel. Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, is you're delusional about who you are. You have put together a church, and you have put together something that elevates you, but it does not elevate me. You're worshiping your wealth. You're worshiping what you have. And I'm standing outside the door of the church, not your heart. Again, nothing wrong with using that analogy. I'm standing outside of a church that thinks they're in worship of me, and you're just in worship of yourself. You say you're clothed. I say you're naked. You say you're wonderful. I say you're wretched. You say you're wealthy. I say you're poor. So I stand outside the door of my church, and I knock, and I wonder if anybody will get up and come to the door and let me in so that I will join you in what you're doing because you're doing it without me. I have been kicked out of my own church. That's what he's saying in Laodicea. And that's what God is saying here when the first time this is attempted. You would think after the flood, you would think after all this being handed down through these generation of children that God has allowed all of you to exist because he saved eight of us and you're the descendants uh, of three of us. You would think that we would keep telling that and you would be thankful for the mercy of God that when he handed down his wrath, he was merciful to us. But it didn't take many generations for now we're back building buildings and monuments to ourselves. And God said, I'm not going to have it. So he goes down and he confuses their language. Look at verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. I bet they did. Uh, Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. What did God tell them to do when they got off the boat? And I know it's not a boat, but it's too big for that, but the ark. Spread out. Let's go. Have they done it? No. Did God make sure that was going to happen? Yes. Is God going to do that? That's the thing that, that I, I, I tell people all the time when people are making decisions. I, y'all do realize that God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish with or without you and me. Our, his will is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. He certainly doesn't need us. I look at the things going on with the, the ministry and the stuff that I've been allowed to do, and and God I, has made this very clear to me because I have been forgiven so much, and uh, and this is just an assumption. Uh, but I, I have a feeling with everything that I've been allowed to do, I likely was not God's first choice. I'm probably about fourth, fifth string. And the only way I'm getting to play is because all those that were more talented and gifted than me wouldn't do it. But he'll find somebody who will. And uh, But I doubt, seriously, with all my flaws and, <laughs> and, and challenges I have to overcome, and I, I probably was not his first choice. Uh, the only thing good about anything that I've ever been part of is him. It certainly isn't me. But 
here's something interesting. Go, let's go back up to verse four. This is going to be. I love this when I found this in in uh, the commentary from J. W. Ferguson. He said, "Go back up to four, and you see um, uh, over in chapter ten. Okay, if you go over back to chapter ten and you look at verse uh, verse four. Well, that's not it. Maybe just four here. The first mention of Babel. And um, here it is, yeah. And, uh, and and so you know that it says that uh, old Nimrod wanted to uh, wanted to have a city, and he was going to call it Babel. Well, this this was so cool, and this is how it works. The actual word here is the same Hebrew word um, that is for Shem, meaning that we're gonna, we're, we're going to make our own line of people. He wanted it to, to be known as special. He he this he, this word Babel that Nimrod wanted to use because he's behind all this. He's the rebel rouser. Is that Nimrod wanted this to say my line, the line I'm in, we'll make a name for ourselves. Maybe we say we're gonna make a name for ourselves. But again, God looks at the folly to all of us because of him dispersing everybody. We don't think of the word Babel as anything honoring Nimrod, which is what he wanted. We look at the word Babel, and so did all the Jewish people after this, meaning this means to speak senselessly, to make no sense. So Nimrod wants it to be some badge of honor. God turns the word Babel into a derogatory statement. And then we start telling people, don't be a Nimrod. But now we know back over in 10, it tells us that Nimrod was impressive, doesn't it? I mean, really, probably Nimrod, if we were honest, okay, if we were honest, and guys, it's, it's, it's about to get intense in here on this. If we were honest, we really prefer to be around Nimrods. Says he was mighty, he was gifted, he was impressive to look at, he was strong. Said he did mighty works. But Jesus didn't come to us as a Nimrod, did he? And if you were in your church when God became a man and you were in your church and Nimrod came up and said, we're thinking about joining your church, me and my wonderful family. We're like, well, they're going to they be bringing gifts. They're going to be bringing money. They're going to be impressive. And then if all of a sudden Jesus and his raggedy bunch showed up with nowhere to lay their head and with nothing, and said, "Hey, we we we're, and they went and sat down on the pew. They probably wouldn't be received like Nimrod. Now, when our Lord and Savior comes back this next time, Nimrod is going to be nothing, and there'll be no wondering who he is. But when he came as a man, I'm strict, strictly talking about when he lowered himself. See, he's not really looking for the Nimrods of the world. Look at look at another example. If you have your Bible, go to First Samuel, chapter sixteen. This, this jumped out at me when I was studying this because uh, I'm developing a message and I haven't got it finished yet. I'm praying for God to help me with it. And the message is going to be, are you an Eliab? Maybe I should say Nimrod. So we know that Samuel goes over at Jesse's place and he's looking for what? God said there's a king in here. And I'm looking for Jesse's sons. Jesse, as we know, doesn't even present David. Well, it can't be David. Uh, David's got somebody's got to watch the sheep, so David's out doing this. Look at uh, look at verse six of of First Samuel chapter sixteen. Out walks Jesse's son Eliab. When they came, 
talking about Samuel and everybody else, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Meaning, man, now look at that horse. Boy, look at this son that Jesse has brought out. He's big, strong, handsome, impressive. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So are you an Eliab? Are you a Nimrod? Where you look impressive, and you're playing a game with all of us, and you present yourself with characteristics that the word the world finds impressive. You're wealthy. You're handsome. You're strong. You're a man's man. You've accomplished so much. You you can you can own the room. I mean, you you are always the center of attention. People are impressed with you. And the world says, Wow, you are impressive. But God says, I have rejected him. Are you an Eliab? Am I an Eliab? Am I a Nimrod? Or am I a David? Am I am I somebody that no one expects God to use? And the only thing good about me is Jesus. Because he sees my heart. He sees that I'm devoted to him. The world may not find me impressive but the Lord finds me devoted. And so the Lord's going to use the devoted, and he will reject the impressive because we are not living our lives to try to be men that the world applauds. We are living our lives to try to be men that the Lord approves. And I wonder sometime if it's really true that we were just seeking the approval of God, or if we were honest, we live our lives looking for the approval of the world. They wanted to be known as special, but God makes a fool and turns the word Babel and the word Nimrod into things that are embarrassing. So when you look at the word Babel, not only was it supposed to represent the line of Shem, it was also supposed to mean the gate of God. But Jewish readers and readers alike recall it to mean people who make no sense. God was going to populate all the earth, and that plan could not be stopped. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 8 in the church. Look at Acts chapter 8. This blows my mind. It's not one of those things that we just have to be real about. It's not our, as my wife has said beautifully, I don't always like the way God does things. I don't like his tactics sometimes because I'm a human being, but I can never argue with his results. <laughs> so you remember, so we, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, 
in Acts chapter 1, you see the Lord God is about to ascend, and he is going to ascend to his proper place, sitting at the right hand of God. And he says, before I go, he's telling them they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And we know that they have been told that they are to go into Jerusalem. Look at verse 8. But you receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What did he tell the people in Genesis? Go into the world and multiply and spread out. They didn't. The church did the same thing. The church didn't leave. They stayed in Jerusalem. Here we go again. Not doing what the Lord told them to do. Do you know how he got them to move? Look at uh, look at this has just happened, okay? This has just happened in chapter 8 of Acts. Stephen has just been stoned. He's been killed. And I, there's a whole great message around that. We don't have time for it today. But um, Stephen was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power, and full of faith. He's the only man in the Bible that gets those four. I thought to myself when uh, everybody was laying Steve Farrar's, and I'm not bringing glory to Steve more than he would want, but Steve Farrar, who is just, just a powerful man of God, when I looked at his name and I realized his full name was Stephen James Farrar, I thought, boy, that's a day that name one right. And uh, so full of faith, full of grace, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit. It's the only man in the Bible that gets all four of those accolades. So Stephen's been stoned. And we know that they laid their their uh, coats at the foot of a man named Saul. So sometimes God allows our suffering for the benefit of, of others. And we know that in Scripture that uh, Saul, who is Paul, never forgot his approval of Stephen's execution after he was redeemed. So chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles who, are, who remained in Jerusalem. So Jesus had told them to go, and they didn't go. But what did he use for them to go and scatter? Persecution. Suffering. He's going to do what he says to do. And, you know, you remember the old commercials, Midas guy? You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. Can I just tell all of us, whatever God tells us to do, let's just go ahead and do it because it's going to be done. And he's going to get it done, and he's going to, he's going to, he, is, he is going to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. And he has said to each and every one of us, go and make disciples. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And you can't teach something you don't know. And I'll be with you. He didn't leave us alone. And I'll be with you all the way to the end of this thing. So the question is, are we spending more time trying to build a kingdom for ourselves? Are we devoting our gifts, our time, our finances to build a kingdom for God? 
And if you're building a little kingdom for yourself and I'm building one for myself, it's all just going to be rubble. It's all going to burn. The only thing that's going to be left are the things that can never be taken from us. And that is the impact that we had for the kingdom of God. And as opposed to trying to follow the Eliabs and the Nimrods of the world, maybe we should make our heroes the men who were devoted to Jesus and let them be our example of how our lives will be deemed successful or not successful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. Uh, thank you for uh, this clear picture of this problem that's been around for a really long time, and that is us trying to build kingdoms for ourselves as opposed to advancing your kingdom as you clearly told us to do. You told us to go. And so many of us, and, and I have been guilty of this, we just won't go. But you love us enough that you'll do whatever you have to do for us to go. So maybe today we just need to decide that we're going to reprioritize our life and we're going to place you in your proper place at the center of our lives. And may everything we do flow through you and point to you. And help us, Lord, to be found in your perfect will for our lives. I know your will is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. You certainly have not made us into robots. You have asked us the question whether we want to build kingdoms for ourselves or we want to be part of your kingdom. And may we as fathers look at our own children, those of us who have children, and mothers that are watching this too. Do we really want our child to be on social media and look more like an Eliab and a Nimrod? That's what we think the world would applaud on our latest post and the latest time we get to talk on and on about the accomplishments of our children and their talents. May we refocus ourselves and ask, are my children followers of Jesus? Do you approve of them? You don't see their outward appearance. You see their heart. I pray, Lord, that you just give us this time to ask these difficult questions. Do we serve ourselves or do we serve you? And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to dig into your word of God and be filleted, cut, and refined by it. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. Lord, I pray you be with the men that are here as they leave and be with those that are watching and listening now. And if there's anything, Lord, any kind of decision we need to make, that we're making it right now. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Remember, no Bible study next week. We'll be uh, on vacation. We'll be right back two weeks from today. Thank you for being with us.